I'm going to uh, draw our text tonight, of course, from Psalms 106, for those of you that, um, that have been with us in Focus 52. But I want us to have special prayer tonight. I have a couple of things. First, let me, let me build your faith, and then I'm going to give you a prayer request, and we're going to pray together. Um, I have a, a cousin uh, that lives in Arkansas, and uh, his, his mother is my wife's, is my my mother's first cousin. His mom is my mom's first cousin. And uh, he's been to this church through the years, been many, many years since he's been here. But he had recently just uh, taken his uh, shot and got very sick and uh, put him in the hospital. And um, his oxygen, they, he said they walked in the room and told him he just shared his uh, testimony this week at church. And they, they walked into his room and they said, we're, we're taking you now to put you on the ventilator. And he said, they were wheeling him down to ICU. And he told the Lord, he said, this is not what I wanted, God. He said, I wanted to go in the rapture. And he said, I don't, I don't want to die like this. I don't want this to happen. And uh, they were monitoring him very closely. So they got him into ICU, and he said they, you know, they had all kinds of stuff on him, and he, he couldn't speak out loud. But he said uh, he began to quote Scripture and pray in his mind. And he was a, a big-time Bible quizzer when he was young. And he said, he said the devil hates a quizzer. That's what he said. He said the devil hates a quizzer because he said as they were wheeling him down the hallway, he said, I began to quote the Word of God. And... He said, Lord, I need you to touch me right now. And he said, I want you to do for me like you did for the prophet Elisha. He said, I want you to open my eyes and let me see that you are for me. And he said, immediately, standing at the, at the foot of his bed, he saw an angel, a great angel standing there. And he said, just as quickly as I saw it, it left. I, I couldn't see it anymore. He said, but at that moment, I watched the nurses in the corner of the intensive care they huddled up and they started talking and pointing at my stuff. And they walked up to, to him and they said, we're not going to have to put you on. They said, your oxygen just went from the 60s to the 90s immediately. Immediately. He said, just as soon as I saw that angel standing by my bed, his oxygen jumped almost 30 points immediately and God touched him. I thank God for his healing power. Woo! And so tonight, while our faith is high and we know that he's a healer, I'm going to have this church pray together, if you would, for my sister. I know my dad had put a post yesterday, and we've all turned into uh, Facebook secretaries the last two, two days because everybody's wanting to, to make sure that Jody's okay. And she's not well. Uh, she has been sick with the cuss word. And uh, she is stuck at, at home. Uh, she's been to the hospital twice uh, to get looked at. Uh, and to get some fluids put in her system. Because she was dehydrated. Couldn't hold anything down. But she, uh, she is very sick. And this is day 13 that she has had a fever, 13 days straight that she has had a fever. And uh, she's down very, very badly. And they told her that she has pneumonia in her lungs and she is, uh, she's taking breathing treatments and all that, that everything that you can do, she's doing 
But the issue that she was having was any kind of medicines that they would give her, she could not hold it down orally. And so it was just a, a wrestling match. And so I've been here today pretty much all day at the church and um, in different seasons of prayer today, I would walk in and just call Jody before the Lord. But I felt something different tonight in the prayer room. And I'm, I'm just going to make a public declaration right now in the name of Jesus that there's an expiration date on this thing right now. You got both cold shot that by. Woo! Mm. I feel the help in this place right now. Would you just point toward the east tonight, towards North Carolina, if you would just point in that direction. Praise God. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I command this sickness to leave that home right now. I command a shift in Jody's body right now. I command that fever to break right now. Father, by the faith that's in this room, let angels be dispatched from the glory world. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I plead the blood over her right now. Woo! God, we believe that you're able. Praise God. How many of you will believe with pastor tonight for a breakthrough? Praise God. We're moving into a stage of revival uh, with Brother and Sister Shepherd, And... Uh, it's interesting how the enemy starts fighting at revival time. But I know because I have, I have felt some of the things that you've been feeling, and I don't want that to sound any deeper than it is, but God lets me feel things in this church that some of you feel. And I have felt over the last several days beyond a normal pace of, of of emotion, I have felt anxieties and fears and things that, that are trying to creep in. I'm just going to tell you all something tonight. We are children of the Most High God. We're going to have a moment of uh, vulnerability right here. But if you have been struggling uh, with, with feelings the last few days of fear, anxiety, being overcome... By that, and some, some of this has crept into your mind. Will you just lift your hand right now if you've been dealing with that? Amen. Praise God. Look at this. You can see now why you've been feeling it. By all the hands that were lifted in here tonight. I want to I give you a revelation right here. The devil hates your guts. And he hates what God's doing in your life. And he hates what God is doing in this church. And so tonight, we're going, to, we're going to pray again. I feel a powerful prayer in here. I don't even know what's going to break forth in this place. But tonight, we're going to pray, we're going to pray some prayers right here. And as we pray, eviction notices are going to be written Amen. to spirits of fear, to spirits of anxiety that have overwhelmed your mind. Hallelujah. We are not afraid tonight, and we are not intimidated. I want us to pray right now. 
I just want you to lift your voice. Don't worry about who's standing beside you. Don't worry about who hears you right now. Don't worry about what they say. Listen, I know some of you have friends and family that are sick. Some of you have been worried about being sick. Tonight, perfect love casts out fear. I release the love of God in this room right now. I release the love of God. I release the perfect love of God. <laughs> Father, I command in the name of Jesus that fear and anxiety be bound by the spirit of the living God, by the power of the name of Jesus. God, I curse every phantom pain that has been transpiring in these people. Lord, people that have been worried about their hearts, they've been worried about their lungs and their body, phantom pains. God, I, I curse that in the name of Jesus. I command it to stop and cease right now in the name of the Lord. I release healing virtue into this house right now. God, heal our minds, heal our bodies, heal our emotions. As we move in, Lord, to I believe one of the greatest seasons of harvest and reviving in the church that we have ever known, I release faith in us right now. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I want everybody to just take a big, deep breath tonight. Now let that breath out, would you? The psalmist said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And I want God to know right now that I'm grateful for every breath that I take into my body. If you're breathing right now, you ought to give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. I refuse to let the enemy keep our minds bound up. And he'll do it. And he does it most during seasons of isolation and aloneness. I'm encouraging you to be together with the family of God as much as you can. To be in the house of the Lord. Amen. There's power when we're together, and hell can't stop the church. Amen. So tonight, uh, I want you to just keep binding together with me. There's a couple of uh, things as you're turning to Psalms 106 that I want you to pray about. I know there's a thousand things you can pray about, but I have two specific ministries, uh, people that I want you to pray for. Number one, uh, Brother Dennis Lewis, who has preached here several times through the years, uh, his wife has been very ill for a long time. And uh, she came in contact with uh, the virus as well and, and is in the hospital not doing well. As a matter of fact, uh, her daughter, Brittany, is, is just, I don't know what the doctors are saying. I'm just knowing what she's posted, that they're not giving her mom much hope. And God needs to touch Brother Lewis and their family. Brother Lewis has been a blessing to us many times through the years. And then the second name that I want you to pray for, because I told them, uh, told him that we would be praying is an evangelist that's never preached for us but his ministry has affected me several times through the years very powerful man of God brother Gordon Poe is his name Gordon Poe and brother Poe is uh he's sick they they said that uh it did some damage to his lungs and so he can't preach right now and he needs God to touch him he was he said I was just getting back on my feet uh, on the road evangelizing after the last shutdown last year. He said, I was just getting back on my feet, and then I got, got sick, and it's affected his lungs. And so I'm asking you, if you would, please, to call.
the Lewises and Brother Poe before the Lord, that God would touch, touch them and strengthen them. God's a healer. And, and I've been telling the Lord right now is a great, great time for him to show himself mighty because we're going to rejoice and he's going to get the glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Psalms 106, if you're there, say amen. If you're not, we'll have prayer meeting again. Praise the Lord. So verse 44 is where we're going to, to draw our text. Um, Psalms 106 and verse 44. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. This is an interesting verse because nevertheless speaks to uh, kind of an in spite of word. It's an in spite of word. Even if they didn't do what they should, nevertheless, in spite of their hard hearts, in spite of their wrongdoings, when they cried out to the Lord, he heard them. He answered them. Anybody here thankful for mercy? Man, I am too. Praise God. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Somebody say his mercy endures forever. Amen. So there's something very interesting about this particular chapter. I don't know how many of you have studied in it this week, but uh, it's basically a chapter that the, the center of it, the, the meat of this chapter is filled with the failures of the children of Israel. It is filled with their hard-heartedness. It's filled with their turning their back against God. It's interesting. It's more than likely um, written by David. And David is like spending the, the, the chapter confessing the faults of the children of Israel that have, that have already passed. He is confessing faults of the Lord. So if you, first glance, if you read it, it's almost like David is bringing up all the faults and the failures. But I don't want you to view it that way. I want to show you something that's really neat about the nature of this psalm. The failures of the children of Israel are basically, if I could say it like this, they are sandwiched between two hallelujahs. The opening verse of this psalm, Psalms 106 and verse number 1, it begins like this. Think about it. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. David basically opens up by saying, Hallelujah! His mercy endures forever. And as we close out this chapter and you get to verse 48, he closes out the verse, uh, uh, the, the chapter by saying, Hallelujah! Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Now this is interesting because... The whole chapter is about the failures and the faults and how they messed up. But he opens it up by saying, thank God for mercy. And he closes it out by saying, thank the Lord who's from everlasting to everlasting. Let everybody say amen and praise the Lord. Why does he do that? Because the focus is not at all on the faults of the people. He is using the faults of the people... To measure the mercy and the power of God. This is a powerful lesson that you and I can learn in testimony. 
Whenever I tell somebody what the Lord has brought me out of or what he's brought you out of or what you've been through, you are not bringing up your past to give praise to your failure. Whenever you bring up what the Lord has done for you and you reflect over your past and you say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, that's where I would be. That's what I would be doing. And some of us don't even know how bad it could be. We would have to say the Lord only knows. But whenever you bring that up and you say, before I came to the Lord, I was stuck on this and I was addicted to this and I had this and I had that. You are not giving glory to that addiction that had you. You can begin that by saying, praise the Lord that his mercy endures forever. I once was lost, but thank God I now am found. Amen. So this is, uh, it, it's very uh, it's very interesting in the nature of the psalm because uh, very little of it feels like praise, but it's kind of cool because the failure is sandwiched between two hallelujahs. I wish so very badly that some of us would learn that lesson. We need to learn how to sandwich our failures between two hallelujahs. Let me say it to you like this. I believe some of you are only one hallelujah away from a breakthrough. I believe the enemy knows how close some of you are to a breakthrough, and that's why he's been fighting you the way that he has. That's why he's been bringing fear on you the way that he has. That's why he's been reminding you of your failures the way that he has. That's why he's been trying to keep you from the house of the Lord and from the people of God because he knows what happens when the children of God begin to praise the Lord. I love how David starts it out. He says hallelujah to God and he says I'm thankful that even though they failed the Lord that whenever they opened up their mouth and they begin to cry that the Lord heard their cry. Hey, I want to tell you something tonight. The devil may have told you that you're a failure and that you've messed up, but open up that mouth and begin to cry unto the Lord let me promise you tonight he still hears your cry praise God so praise and prayer are blended into the introduction of this letter of this psalm of this song that he is singing it is uh, prayer and praise blended together why, why, why is this important? Because the greatest way that we can overcome our failure, I believe, is through praise and prayer. I feel like that the enemy uh, works on us. I, I, I was teaching this week uh, to someone, um, a, a Bible study in the book of Genesis, and, and we, were working, uh, we were working our way kind of through uh, the, 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 the failure of mankind, the choice that, that they made in the garden. And uh, I love watching Revelation come alive in people. I love when the light bulb comes on while people are learning about the Word of God. And we were discussing how the serpent beguiled Eve and how he came in and started uh, causing her to question God's motive. It, it's something the way that works. Questioning God's motive. He said, well, the Lord knows that when you eat of the fruit of this tree, then you're going to become like God's. In other words, it's all about what God is keeping from you. It's never in, in the, the affirmation of, man, you really are blessed. I mean, look at everything you can have. And, and it came up in that conversation. He said, well, like, there's really no new tricks then. The same thing that he did to them in the garden, 
is the same thing that he's doing right now. And this is absolutely a revelation that every one of us need to understand. Is that the enemy has no new tricks. He doesn't have something up his sleeve that one day you're going to get surprised. Hey, I, I, I just want you to search your heart right now. And some of you can testify to the fact that if you get weak, it's always going to be the same exact temptation that comes to you. There's like no real surprises. You know, I'm one of those people that I, I can't stand. I absolutely cannot stand the smell of alcohol. I cannot stand the smell of it. It's disgusting. It makes me want to puke. I, I used to tell my dad all the time, I'd say, I, I'd, I'd make a horrible alcoholic. I can't stand the smell of that junk. It's gross. It smells like rot. It's like rotten grapes. Or beers like rotten vomit. I asked a buddy of mine one time, I said, how in the world do you just sit there and drink that? He said, well, you just have to drink it till it tastes like water, and then you can drink a bunch of them. It's like, man, I don't know about that, but, but, but I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. If that's your soft spot, if that's your soft place, it's amazing how the enemy can make things appealing to you. Why are you talking about this, Pastor? Because it's, it's amazing what happens. He's always going to drag your failures in front of you. But David does an interesting thing here. He plays reverse psychology on the devil. It's like, it's almost like when you read this psalm, it's like he feels like the, the, the enemy is standing there watching him to see what he's about to say. Okay? Like this is the picture I get. David is writing this psalm, and, and the enemy is standing there, and David knows that the enemy is closed. And so he throws him a curveball. Maybe he's been down and out a little bit, and David says, Well, praise the Lord! And the enemy's like, Oh, what's going on, right? And then he starts talking about the failures, and the enemy's like, Yes! Yes, your people, they are. They failed God. And, and then, just as the enemy feels like, Yep, guilt's going to come in, guilt's going to come in. David shifts gears on him again and he says, oh, but I'm so glad that when they opened up their mouth and they called on the Lord. You know what some of us need to do? We need to learn he don't have any new tricks. It's always going to be the same old thing. It's always the same old thing. But when he comes at us, there's a lesson to be learned. We ought to sandwich that failure between a couple of hallelujahs and let him know I am not what I used to be. David was throwing this back at the enemy and saying, you know what? You may have got us once, but you won't get me again. You may have tripped us up before, but we won't be tripped up again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's awesome. It's one of the coolest chapters. I've never even thought about it in this measure this week until I started reading. I'm like, that's kind of interesting how he would open up with praise and prayer. And he would close with praise and prayer, but in the middle is all the failures. And the Lord says, this is how it works. The failure does not have the final word. Praise does. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? So we're going to walk through a couple of these things. It's very interesting. So he, he opens this up and he, and he talks about uh, as they're coming through the Red Sea and they were saved 
for his name's sake and, and how the Lord rebuked the Red Sea. I'm, I'm kind of working through the 12th chapter right now. It said, then they believed his words when he, when he rebuked the Red Sea and held it back. It said, then they believed in verse 12. Then believed they his words and they sang his praise. Okay? So, so this is, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to show you humanity wrapped up in this psalm. Can I do that? Verse 12, the Lord parts the Red Sea and they, then they believed his words and they sang his praise. This is how it is. Sometimes God has to show us a miracle before we believe. Right? That's just kind of who we are. Sometimes, sometimes he has to show us. Then verse 13, watch this. We go, they saw his works and believed. And then they, what? They soon forgot his works. And they waited not for his counsel. I've wondered so many times, how good does God have to be before I start really understanding how good he's been to me? If you go back and read this very account right here, verse 12 and 13 in the, in the Exodus, this is what you find out. You find out that the Lord parts the Red Sea. They come across the water, and they're standing on the banks of the Red Sea. And Miriam, which is Moses' sister, and all the women of Israel had their tambourines. Y'all ever read that? They all got their tambourines out. They had some old-fashioned Pentecostal church with their tambourines. They got out and got to dancing and shouting. Moses hadn't learned, learned to hide the tambourines in the pulpit yet. That's what Bishop Bingham did. We got us a few young people got excited about tambourines and couldn't keep the beat real well. And I guess it drove him crazy. I found the stash one time. They were all in the pulpit. And uh, so Miriam and all the women, they, they, they got their tambourines and they get out and they, they're all dancing and they're, they're shouting out loud, making noise with their mouth. They're, they're dancing. The horse and the rider have been uh, in the water. They're, they're buried in the water. And then the Lord even said that he let some of them wash up so they could see the work that he had done. Kind of a weird deal. But the horse and the rider both uh, drowned. And so they're dancing and they're shouting about what the Lord has just brought them through. And when you, when you read this, it's amazing now. I'm talking about they literally walked on dry ground in the middle of what was a Red Sea. When it started, it was a Red Sea. God walks them through that. They get on the other side of it and they look back where they just came through is a Red Sea again. Like, you'd, you'd think you'd remember that, right? It's kind of a big deal. I mean, anybody here ever been to like Destin or, or, or Tampa or something? Like, I, I would think if you just walk out there on the beach and it goes... You walk all the way to Key West, you're going to be like, I'll never forget this. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's interesting. But if you go read your Bible in the Exodus, it says 72 hours later. They put their tambourines away. They came to a place called Mara where there were bitter waters. Somebody tried to take a drink. They're like, Whoa! Why did God bring us out here to fail us? I'm like, if you turn around and look, you can probably still see from where you're at right now what you just came through. There is nobody in this house tonight that's very far from what you've already come through. But I'm going to show you how this works. 
It's amazing that Miriam didn't get this brilliant idea that as we came through the Red Sea, it was our praise and our dancing and our shouting that closed that and it healed our hearts and we saw the horse and the rider go back. Maybe when we come to the next trouble, the thing we ought to do is grab our tambourine. I mean, but isn't it amazing when they come to the next struggle 72 hours later, no tambourines to be found. This sounds like a Pentecostal church. Moody praisers. I'm just going to be moody about this. Forget what God did three days ago. Forget what God did just a few days ago. I'm mad at my husband now. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of my boss. I'm tired of the way he's treated me, so I ain't worshiping tonight. God ought to give me a better job. Aren't we something? I've, sh I've shared this, I don't know how many times. You, this church has heard it eight quadrillion times through the years. But it's the greatest story in the world about this scenario. And there are people that tell it all over the country, and they don't even know that it was our family that it happened to. So my, my papa Bingham, his mother and daddy were on their way to church, had a big old fight. And grandmother Bingham, uh, my papa said, that my mother is his mother born again. And that his father was my dad. It's, I'm, I'm being serious. You know, Bishop Bingham was, was slender and not, not a very big man at all, but his dad was kind of short and, and built like Bishop uh, Bingham, uh, Bishop St. Clair. And my mother, I, I'm being honest. My mamma Bingham will tell you tonight, it's like, they said for many, many years, Uncle Max has said it so many times, says like, uh, now watching Danny and Judy is like watching Francis and Ruth. But they got fussing one night, and I'm not saying my mom would do this. But they got to fighting on the way to church, and then when they, when they got to church, Granddaddy Bingham got up there in the altar, man. He just danced and shouted and preached and just went after it, you know, had real good church. And she sat back there with her arms crossed and mad. And they got in the car and she called him by his last name. She said, Bingham, you are a hypocrite. He said, well, good grief, Mom. Why, why am I a hypocrite? She said, because on the way to church we fussed and fought. And then you got up there and danced and shouted like there wasn't nothing wrong. And he said, well, Mom, I wasn't mad at God. I was mad at you. So you got, you got to know that the Lord is faithful whether I'm standing on the banks of the Red Sea or I'm standing at bitter waters of Mara. He's faithful. Hey, Miriam, try this. Go get you a tambourine and start dancing at that bitter water and see what God won't do for you. It's something. And so he's dealing with this. So when verse 13 said, they soon forgot. Yes, they did. Three days. That's pretty soon. 
It's kind of interesting if they'd say that because I'm going to just draw this out here for you. We got Sunday after church. You got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's kind of interesting because some people can't keep the victory from Sunday night to midweek. And no, I'm not, I'm not reading into this like the Lord established a church schedule. It had to be on Wednesday. I'm just talking about this church. I know. I get out there in weird doctrines, don't I? My point is that some of us have a hard time keeping the victory more than just a couple of days. But there is a way to do that. That is to take the victories that God has given you and to keep them in the forefront of your mind. And to sandwich the trouble, I like this, I'm, I'm going to keep referring to this tonight, and keep sandwiching the trouble between a couple of hallelujahs. Right. I'm going to tell you something about hallelujahs. They're expensive. Because right. sometimes when I give them, I don't feel like giving them. Sometimes when I'm dancing, I don't feel like dancing. Come on, somebody. Sometimes when I'm clapping, I don't feel like clapping. But it's a worthy investment. Because it would have reminded them in that moment when they soon forgot. It would have reminded them God was good to us three days ago and God's going to be good to us today. God don't just quit being good because I came up on a problem after Sunday night church. My, 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 my. So, so it's very interesting. They soon forget his works and this gets really, really bad. They waited not for his counsel. This is scary. I told the Lord today. I said, God, and I'm, I'm not going to go into verbatim because it was quite a long conversation I had with the Lord. But I told him, I said, God, I don't want to move until you speak. There's a lot of deception in the world right now. A lot of confusion in the world right now. A lot of things that are going on. And... It's amazing to me. I, I almost hate to even give this life. It's so goofy. I, I shared with Bishop, which he may be watching tonight, but uh, I shared this with Bishop that someone had got on a forum on Facebook and they started going on this deal about uh, how you know the church is going, it's going south. Like, how, like, we know the church is losing its grip. I, Brother McLean, I about died. The, the conversation started by saying, you know when a church removes its pews and puts in pew chairs. I'm, I'm being as serious as a heart attack. And people that I know were commenting on there and they were saying, yep, that's usually a good sign that they're not far from letting stuff in the church. And I'm like, people. <laughs> I was grateful. At least now we know what the problem is with the church. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got to think about how carnal this church is and how off we are. We're not having revival, and now I know why. I'm like, what? Have you been to our church? <laughs> are, are you listening to what I'm saying? You look at our world right now. I was reading, I was reading uh, yesterday and today that there's a woman uh, that, that's connected with some Christian people 
in Afghanistan, she said that they had decided, regardless, they're meeting together for church this week. What they said. I'm like, whoa. They said, we're meeting together for church this week. And they said, we've all made up our minds that we love Jesus. And more than likely, we will see him face to face within the next two weeks. I'm like, well, well, I'm glad we got chairs. I don't, I don't want to go where he's not talking. They did not wait. I don't, I don't want to get involved in a bunch of malarkey. That's one of the nicest words I can use right now. I don't want to get hung up in a bunch of malarkey and, and, and a bunch of uh, division and a bunch of stuff that's going on when there are people that are lost without God. There are people that are losing their life. Listen, I'm going to tell you something tonight and you hear me good. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, if we have ever waited on the counsel of God, we need his counsel right now. We need to hear the voice of God in every action that we take. Don't tell me it's too insignificant. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I don't want to be, be caught without waiting on the counsel of God. I need it. I need it for my family. I, I, I do. I need it as a daddy. I need it as a husband. I really, really, really need it as a pastor. I need God's word. I need his counsel to speak to me. And I love this. As you're reading, uh, as you're reading this uh, 13th verse, it said they did not wait on his counsel. And immediately my mind goes to Isaiah 9 and 6, that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I'm like, when you know the Counselor, why don't you wait? Are you hear what I'm saying to you tonight? People are like, well, I, I don't know. I kind of had a check in my spirit, but I went ahead and did it anyway. You better wait on the counsel of God. Better hear what God is saying. Why did they not wait on his counsel? It's answered in the very next verse. In verse number 14, they didn't wait on his counsel, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. And they tempted God in the desert. Think about it. You are in the process of being moved from Egypt into your promised land. And now you know why. And I, I'm going to help somebody right here. I hope this is prophetic for somebody. Now you know why God doesn't just move you from Egypt directly into the promise. Because there were some things that the wilderness had to expose in them. There's some things that will not be exposed in your life if God just takes you straight to the victory that you think you deserve to be in right now. You're going to have to go through some processes and God's going to have to weed some things out of you. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of like this, Pastor. Um, I'm just not a worshiping kind. Well, I want you to watch what happens. They come. I, I'm, I'm doing this in fast forward so you understand the context. They come through the Red Sea. They worship. They get to trouble at Merah. There is no worship. Well, it's just because they don't feel like worshiping. Wrong. That's not, that's not even the truth. 
This is why I have a problem with worshipless people, with people that don't worship. It's not just that they don't feel like worshiping. It's that there's frustration in their spirit. Listen, uh, 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 verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb. Watch this. So y'all are preaching right now. I just, I don't feel like worshiping. Yeah, you do. And this is what people do not understand in their life. You are always going to be glorifying something. Now I'm going to mess with some people right here. Let's talk about this verse right here. I could preach, I think I could preach a month on verse 19. Let's break this down together. Can we do that? How many of y'all feeling some Gerber style right here? Is it good? Okay. All right. So verse 1. Is it, anybody got their Bible open right now? Anybody got their Bible open to it? You do, Caleb? Tell me what verse 1 says. Yeah, 106. Verse 1. Okay, stop right there. Praise you the Lord. Who's the Lord? He's the one that made me. He's my creator. He made me, right? I ought to be worshiping him. He made me. He created me. Let's go back to that other verse. Verse 19, was it? What's this say? They made a calf. So they went from worshiping what made them To worshiping something they made. You know why? Because it's always easier to worship something you can manipulate and control. Man. Chill, pastor, that's hard. No, listen. Here's the truth. I'm going to walk you through a little bit of something right here. This is not listed in Psalms. You've got to go to the full account to see this. As they come out of the Exodus, the Lord said that all the silver and the gold was his. He said, I want, I want all of it. Why? Because it belonged to him. They brought it out of Egypt. The Lord said he wanted it. But it's very apparent that they held on to it. Because as soon as Moses disappears into the mountain, there was apparently enough of it left over for them to make a cap. So listen. Here's the principle. This is what God asked of them. He said, I want all the gold and silver for me. But what they withheld is ultimately what they worshipped. My, my. It's tight. But it's right. What they refused to relinquish. It didn't take very long at all. For that to become the idol that they worshipped in their life. It wasn't because they didn't want to worship. It was because of what they chose to worship. Think about this. When the scripture... Now, now when, 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 a, when a denominal preacher talks about worship or, or, or somebody just getting talk about... We get this idea of what worship is. I'm telling you, when this scripture said they worship... This is David. You think David knows what worship is? When David said they worship... I'm going to paint you a picture... They were huckabucking. They were dancing. 
They were shouting. They were rending their garments. They were screaming and yelling. They were worshiping what they had made. Exhausting their emotional energy on what they had made. They worshipped the molten image. It wasn't because they had a lack of energy. It wasn't because they had a lack of resources. It wasn't because they had a lack of gold or silver. It's because that's what they chose to worship. And, 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 and here's the sad thing. Nobody made them do it. They got together and decided this is what we want to worship. And in this day and time that we live in, I'm sorry, your pastor doesn't have any gray areas left in me. I'm, I'm done with gray. I'm finished. Not you, Brother Gray. I'm done with gray areas. This is black and white for me. In the day and age that we live in right now, you're either worshiping what you made or you're going to worship what made you. That's all I got right there. That's as good as the preaching's going to get tonight. You better make up in your mind tonight. What are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? And how are you going to worship it? Are you going to give God the best that you can give God? Or are you going to give this world the best that you can give this world? And then you're going to have to, you're going to, have to deal with what pays the most. And when it pays. Man, I, I, I wish I could teach this tonight. I don't know if I'll get this done. Now, this part's going to sound a little self-serving. I should probably let uh, Brother Stephen come up here and just teach a little bit of what he did Sunday. I'm going to show you something. These people are making a golden calf. They're, they're making the molten calf. At the base of the mountain, the scripture said they can see the lightnings and the smoke in the mountain where, where Moses is. They're close, right? So they know that God is moving in the mountain. So let me ask you this. If the evidence in their life says that God is still close and God is still around, then was the molten image a replacement for God or was it a replacement for Moses? Because Moses is the only one they can't see. And they were at a place in their relationship with God in the wilderness. That if God took their pastor, their voice, their shepherd out of their life. And he wasn't speaking in their ear every day. They didn't have enough relationship with God to keep loving God without the voice of their preacher. Let me ask you. Do you have the kind of relationship with God and we've. We've been kind of through this. Do you have the relationship with God that if you have to go without seeing me or hearing me or listening to me for 40 days, that you're not going to start making images in your life? Your relationship with God, and I love you folks deeply. I do. I thank God every day that I'm your pastor. Well, not some Mondays I don't, but almost every day. I love being your pastor, but I'm going to tell you all something. And, I, and this, I don't want this to sound weird. I don't want you serving God because of me. I don't. I don't want this church being built on my personality. I don't want this church being built on my preaching style. And I know some of that just has to happen. I'm your shepherd. I get that. But you got to have something in you. 
in the end time that's going to last. If there's, not, if there's not a voice, you need a preacher in your life. I get that. you got to have a man of God in your life. And I feel like the scripture is very, uh, very, very plain and explicit that you can't be saved without a preacher. you got to have a preacher. But what are we going to do if we ever get to the place that we have to be away from the preacher for a, a few hours? Does God have to worry about us forming things that we have made and worshiping those things because that voice is not in our life? And I can tell you this, if you happen to remove that voice from your life on your own personal act, it won't be very long till you'll start forming things to worship in your life. We need the voice of an elder, of a prophet, of a man of God that'll speak into our ear and say, keep your eyes focused, get your eyes on the prize, and keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, Gotta have it. I'm, 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 I'm trying to hurry. I, I see so much. I see so much how the enemy has used tools uh, in, in this end time to... Uh, to, to bring us distractions, and, and it, it blows my mind. I, uh, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but I, I got so frustrated when, when we were all uh, trying to keep the doors open, just trying to have church and be together. And some of these cats were online talking about it's too dangerous for us to have church, but they would do their online devotions from their vacation house in yeah. somewhere. I'm like, you can get on a plane and fly to your vacation house and do your devotion over your iPhone to, to these church people that you won't open the door for. Y'all, yeah. these are perilous times. I'm going to say something that's probably not healthy. But I'm going to tell you what I told my friends when we were discussing this, pastor friends. I said, I'm going to tell you the problem with those people, the, the problem with those preachers right there is their church people are too faithful. I said, you let them people stop giving online. They'll go back home and have church. Now, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. That's between you and God. You're not going to rob God of your tithing offering. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. The principle was they were living in a comfort zone, getting to relax in a time where we don't, we don't need to be lax in our approach. Now, you need to rest and you need to guard your mind and all that. I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do better. But we are so distracted in this time where we need to be so focused. And I refuse to let the enemy distract me to start worshiping things that were never the intention of God for me to worship. Look at your neighbor tonight and tell him, stay focused. I'm going to verse 24. Yea, they despise the pleasant land. They believe not his word, but murmured in their tents. Hearken not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he lifted up his hand against him to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. I don't know how many of you remember me teaching in the last couple of months about uh, when, the, when the 12 spies came out, Joshua and Caleb were talking about this is what we want. This is, this is beautiful. This is the land. They got big grapes, you know, in the 10. 
The ten made this statement. They said, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. Remember that? Let me bring it a little refresher to your memory, and I'm hurrying to a close. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. What that meant was we see the vineyards that we didn't plant, and we see the houses that we didn't build, but what we didn't realize is that when we possess that, we have to work those vineyards. God's going to give everybody their acre, so to speak, in the promised land. Everybody gets their farm. Everybody gets their acre. Everybody gets their home. Everybody gets their vineyard. But you don't just grow grapes by standing and watching it happen. And I think all our lives we've got this thing in our mind. When we finally get to the place where we've arrived and we finally get revival and we finally get harvest, it's just going to happen. I really think some people believe one day the world's going to get so bad they're going to pull in the church parking lot and there's going to be 100 people lined up waiting to get baptized. That ain't going to happen. As we start walking in the promise, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. In other words, it'll devour your life. It'll eat you alive. You know what we ought to do right now in the kingdom of God? We ought to let it devour us. We ought to walk into the promise of our revival and say, I want it to just eat me up. Every day I'm going to plant, I'm going to water, I'm going to harvest, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to get me a Bible study chart, I'm going to start teaching. I'm going to start investing in people. I'm going to start teaching people the word of God. I'm going to start letting this land devour me up. They despise the land because it cost them too much. And so ultimately... When we see that they didn't want to go into the land, we know why they didn't want to go into the land. But they joined themselves in verse 28. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and the aid of the sacrifice of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. I'm not going to go too deep into this. But boy, I could. Idolatry is what kept them from being separated from the trouble of the wicked. When they should have been in a season of being blessed as righteous, they're falling into the plagues of the wicked because they still couldn't get it straight. How many promises does God have to give us? How much good land does he have to show us? How many wonderful things does he have to do for us to see he wants to be number one in our lives? You could walk through this chapter and teach forever and ever and ever. And I know some of you feel like I'm right there forever, just not and ever. Verse 40, and I close. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his own people in so much that he abhorred his own inheritance. That means they really ticked him off. That word abhorred his own inheritance would be kind of like what, what we would say, but it's a stronger word in the, in the Hebrew. It's a stronger word than saying, I hate you. But it's kind of the same. God looked at, at, at his people. And he's like, I, I hate them right now. I hate them. I abhor them. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen that they hated them uh, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Are you depressed yet? Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him. They cheated on him. They provoked him. 
with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. And here comes the big word that we opened. Nevertheless. Had God upset. He was frustrated. But he knew something had happened when they started lifting up their voice and started crying. Yes, we wandered far from God. Yes, we got out of the plan of God. Yes, we were so blessed and didn't realize how blessed we were. But Lord, I'm calling out to you one more time. And I'm asking that you would sit high, you would look low, and you would reach down to me. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. If you happen to be away from God tonight and you're watching us online, I want to tell you that if you'll just lift up your cry to the Lord tonight, he will hear your cry. I'm telling you, backsliders, it's time to come home. I'm telling you tonight, it is time to get back in the house of the Lord. Oh! And that's why he could close it out by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Do you know who all the people are? All the people are the ones that he was just talking about. All the people were the failures. All the people were the problem. But now, in the end of the chapter, all of the failures and all of the mess-ups were saying, Amen. All the jacked up people that had their lives in a mess, they came back into the fold and said, Amen. I hate the devil and I hate him telling you that your failure is final. It's time for you to get back home and just shout amen. Praise God. Somebody ought to shout it right now. Just shout amen. Amen. Woo. Did you hear that devil? There was a bunch of amens in here tonight. You thought you stole their amen. You thought you took their amen. You thought you had them wrapped up. But they got an amen in their spirit. My, my, my. Woo. Well, I think at this point I'm having more fun than you are. I sure love you, church. I thank God for you.